one of the great songs in the New Zealand music catalogue, huh? Oh, you'd go to Fidianga for that, wouldn't you? <laughs> or Hamilton, also a great well, city. Well, I'd, I'd go to Fidianga Hamilton. That's right. I mean, Steve, it's cold in the desert tonight. Who doesn't know that? Yeah, I mean, seriously. I mean, they say time travel is impossible, right? We were in the 80s for a second yeah, then, yeah. unequivocally. And the video, the band is running in the desert. They don't, I don't know where they're running to, but they're running. Anyway, Sierra Leone is, of course, by Coke and the Rough. It's a runaway classic from 1983. And I thought, what a better way to finish off the end of New Zealand Music Month. Now, with us, a big surprise for our panel listeners, we have the former lead singer of Coconut Rough, singer-songwriter Andrew McLean. And kia ora, Andrew. Hello, is that Inland Revenue? <laughs> no, it's not. Have you been waiting long, Andrew? <laughs> I, I hope not. It's an honour to have you... Yeah, honour to have you on, Andrew. I have loved this song from the moment it came out, and I have always wanted to know, and I've never heard, how did this song come into being? Um, I was... Uh, I had a big old atlas. Um, one of my most treasured keepsakes uh, that, uh, you know, was, was made, made in the... Um, in the days of the British Empire, and uh, I was looking through, and I saw Sierra Leone, and my girlfriend's sister, Leone, was leaving New Zealand, and I was humming in my head, see you later, Leone, and then I saw the country, and thought, oh, that's Sierra Leone, that's, that's kind of a bit more, that sounds a bit flasher. Um, so there you go, that's sort of how, how it came about. Amazing. And how did the band get called Coconut Rough? Were you just eating um, a coconut I was rough? To, after the swingers, I came back to New Zealand and uh, thought I'd better brush up on my piano skills. And so I went and got a couple of lessons. And the music teacher, a real old school music teacher, told me that she'd been out shopping and she'd seen a Polynesian fellow wearing a coconut rough t-shirt. And um, there it was. We, the, the panel's loving having you on, but they are saying there's so much response saying, look, Andrew, there's no desert in Sierra Leone. But that's Oh, no, you're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, this, this is like complaining <laughs> about Bundy because there will be no. snow in Africa this Christmas. That's there's, just pedantry. There, there's no desert you there. You could have told me a bit earlier. Okay, look, um, I understand because it, <laughs> it's such a it's such a hit. Every single person listening to this knows this song, Andrew. Uh, but for that reason, I understand for a long time you kind of struggled with the song. Yeah, for a while there, I kind of I sort of got to a point where I just didn't want to know. Um, uh, I think it's sort of the contempt that familiarity breeds, yeah. and um, I was very frustrated that we couldn't seem to come up with something that would break through. Um, there was all sorts of real frustrations with the record company, um, and yeah, so so <laughs> there was some time. There was a time there where I thought, "What the hell have I done?" But um, I certainly don't feel like that now. I mean, dear old girl, she's 40 years old. Yeah. Well, I hope you feel proud when you hear it, Andrew, because I'm 
I mean, it just brings back so many memories from me of when I was younger and it would play at parties. It's and It's just, you it's know, I best. just, I think you should be really proud. Everyone who was involved in, in, in the creation of songs like that, that just have, have a life way beyond. Um, yeah, the, they do. I mean, who would have who would have known? You know, like I was twenty two, I think. Yeah, I was oh my 22, gosh! And I was recently talking with Eddie Rayner, who's a very good close friend of mine and a musical cohort. And he was telling me, he said this. He said this. He said, when a group of like minded guys or people get together and create music, that music is unique to that bunch of people. No mm. no other group or no other combination of people can make it sound like they like that, if you know what I'm saying here. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that today. Um uh and just how 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 obvious it sounds on the one hand, on how obvious it sounds in hindsight, but how true that is. And I've been thinking a lot a lot and very warmly about Stuart Pierce the great keyboard player, Mark Bell, of course, who's just one of our yes. national treasure guitarists. Dear old Dennis Chock Tufari, who's no longer with us, and Paul Hewson, the drummer, and that combination just happened to come happened to collide all at the right time. And so, you know, you can't sort of engineer that kind of thing, really. It just happens. This is amazing, isn't it? It's such an amazing story, Andrew. And Steve, I mean, you're a big music fan. You're from Manchester. You'd, you'd recognise that, that, that notion of uh, a band just having one extraordinary standout song. It does. It does happen, and unfortunately, yeah. this this is this particular extraordinary song predates my time in New Zealand. But yeah. I, two things that come to mind: number one, I, I, I love the thought that this possibly was the inspiration for Toto's huge hit Africa. They just expanded on the idea, which came a year later. There you go, Andrew. <laughs> and, and also, and also, I just love though that and, and Andrew just name checked Paul Hewson, not Paul Hewitt. That's uh, Paul Hewitt. Did I say Hewson? You did, mate. Yes, that that would be Bono. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, fact, no we, we live fact-checking on the really panel. Early on. <laughs> that went really right over my head, Andrew, not being a U2 fan. Don't you worry about that. That wasn't and, a mistake Andrew, in my eyes. Andrew, don't listen. I'm listening to what you're saying, mate, <laughs> even if Wallace isn't. I pay um, attention. Now, um, you guys are nuts. <laughs> yes. Andrew, uh, just echoing Joe McCarroll here, are you amazed that 40 years on, after a song you wrote at the age of 22, Sierra Leone, it's cold in the desert tonight. Are you amazed that you're on the radio talking about that song 40 years later? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of surreal, really. You know, like, I, 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 have, I have great fondness for the dear old girl now because I'm quite... I, I feel I can be quite detached from it. It doesn't belong to me. It's out there in the ether. And... Um, yeah, I uh, you were you were saying before, and you know, to feel proud about it. I am proud of it. I'm proud of what we all did. It's amazing, Andrew. It's an honour. Look, personally, it's an honour to talk with you because I've been a big fan since uh, since '83. For one, for another, who wrote the? Okay, well that 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 that's how I wrote the song, just doing eights on the piano, and. I took that to Stuart Pierce, who put a proper vamp on it, and his point of reference, funnily enough, was Toto. Um, there was a, a motif from a song called "Hold the Line." Love isn't always on time, Wallace. Andrew, it's um, my second favourite song. 
after Sierra Leone. No, no I'm a man. Just, you're just saying that now. Uh, excuse me. Hold the line. Don't you <laughs> worry line. about that. I know. Yeah. Right so, from the so, right from the drum the drum kick. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So so there you go. That, that's that's how that part came about. Um, I really I really sort of think that you know Stuart and I both sort of had a had a part to play in that in that little. Good on you, Andrew. Hey, nice to have you on the panel. Kia ora, and uh, all the very best. Hey, thanks, guys. That's uh, the former lead singer of Coconut Rough, singer-songwriter Andrew McKinnon, just really rounding off the end of New Zealand Music Month, which which is what I consider uh, maybe one of the top ten songs in the New Zealand Music Catalogue. Would you agree, Joe? Oh, 100%. Absolutely agree. I think you and I are a similar age, and I think those songs, they they are woven into oh, your life. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, now, by the way, if you want to know, um, my wonderful producer Ayana has been uh, uh, keeping tabs on the percentage of numbers who uh, support or don't support selling the Auckland Airport shares. 88% of you said keep uh, the shares. It is 16 to 5, the panel. Look, a big, big response on manspreading. Here's a couple. Wallace, please take a 101 social sciences paper ASAP. You'd find it fascinating. Um, Wallace, in case uh, you weren't aware, it's a whole different world being a woman. And manspreading is just one tiny aspect of the many ways I'm treated like a woman every single day. Women are hyper-aware of interactions and taking up space. Men take their space and write to be there as an unexamined natural extension of their existence, says Jane. Yeah, look, Jane, you know, I appreciate that feedback. I always think those things are complicated to explain and people are so triggered by them and defensive when you say things like that. But I would agree 100% that there is just such a such a different experience of the physical world, and um, that's why men uh, can be oblivious about manspreading, and they, they are lucky to be able to be so oblivious about it. But at which point, they should be the ones who take on board that their behaviour impacts on other people. And on the flip side, if men weren't blamed for everything wrong, then they might take more notice. Stop blaming men for everything wrong, then they'd be more interested. Men feel badly treated by the media, says someone. On the panel, uh, Steve McCabe and Joe McCarroll this afternoon. Uh, well, uh, now, by the way, uh, reports of a crash on State Highway 2 blocking the road between Huntress Creek Bridge and Dunlop Road. Delays in the area are likely diversions may be required. That's State Highway 2 west of Oportuki. As the Labour Party Congress meeting over the weekend, at the Congress meeting rather, Chris Hipkins was introduced as, quote, our most down-to-worth, sausage-roll-eating, diet-coke-drinking Prime Minister. And on Monday, panellist Sue Kesley, she had something to say about it. The Prime Minister, he's a role model, and it's not good role modelling to see him endlessly consuming sausage rolls and drinking Diet Coke, and nor can it be good for his health. Because, I mean, we've got a health crisis in New Zealand. Poor it's just a cheeky it. sausage roll. No, if he wants to preserve his health, and it particularly, Wallace, if he wants to be in peak condition to contest the upcoming election, I think he needs to ditch uh, the Diet Coke, uh, cut 
back on his sausage rolls. Maybe he could even bring in a nutritionist to um, introduce him to a slightly Look, more healthy I'll, eating plan. I've just got to come back on this. Um, the fact that every time you see Chris Hipkins, he has a sausage roll in his mouth, is up to him. Of course it is, but he is a role model. Bring in a nutritionist. Well, we took Sue Kishi's advice, and to discuss this, we have food and nutrition writer, sometime panellist, Nikki Bazant. Kia ora, Nikki. Kia ora, Wallace. Okay, so you've heard that pretty passionate, and gosh, the responses followed. How often should we enjoy our sausage rolls, Nikki? Is there a point somewhere in that? <laughs> I, I think this is such an interesting conversation. Um, look, it's a good idea not to not to um, assign any food to being good or bad. Oh. I think I think to have a healthy relationship with food, we actually need to ditch this whole idea of food being good or bad. You know, because that gives food too much power over us. Um, and a, and a sausage roll is just it's just food, right? There's some there's some nutrition in it. There's some bad things about it, or not bad, but there's some unhealthy things about it. I mean, it's a processed food. It's got a lot of salt and fat. It's got no veggies to speak of usually, and it's not got any fibre. But, you know, the whole point about anything that we eat is it's in context of our whole diet, right? Um, so, so a sausage roll is not necessarily a bad thing if you're having, you know, one every couple of weeks and the rest of your diet is lots of vegetables and generally what we'd consider to be healthy. If you're having a sausage roll three times a day, then, yeah, you know, you might be into some problems. So it's all about context. Yeah, I agree with you, Nikki. I think if a sausage, if Chris Hipkins was having a sausage roll every time a sausage roll was mentioned in connection with Chris Hipkins, then he'd have a real problem. Um, yeah. But we don't have enough information now to know. Further to Sue's point, if his diet is healthy for his job, because he's not he's not a professional sports person or, or something where you think, well... Hang on, he's the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Listen to what Sue said. He's a role model. I, 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 I don't... a role model, really. I, I think he... Copy him. Uh, yeah, I think... I think I, I'm not sure if his food choices will influence anyone else's food choices. I don't think they'd influence mine. Let's bring you, Steve. Well, I mean, obviously, Nikki's absolutely right. You know, you, the, the dose makes the poison, doesn't it? Um, the odd cheeky sausage roll isn't going to kill anybody. Um, a steady diet of sausage rolls will possibly be, you know, a different story. But, you know, he, he's a role model, but, we'd, but nobody's ever suggesting that we should follow everything that any particular politician does. And, and no, I mean, first of all, a lot of people um, aren't even aware that he's actually eating sausage rolls until the media no, start well, flogging it. Let's just, let's just, everyone just stop right there, right? Everyone just sort of stop. New Zealand has the third highest adult obesity rate in the OECD, with one in three adult New Zealanders over 15 classified as obese. And what does our Prime Minister do? Every second time you see him, what does he have in his mouth? He's got a sausage roll and a Coke. When's the last time, Nikki, I saw him eat a falafel? Yeah, well, I, I find it interesting that the sausage roll is the food that they've latched onto. I mean, he may genuinely love this. It may be his actual favourite food, which is, you know, whatever. But um, it would be kind of cool if he was attached to a more a more Kiwi, a more local food. I mean, sausage roll is a very English thing uh, that we've adapted, for sure, and it's kind of the food of the people or whatever. But, I, I mean, it would kind of be amazing if uh, his favourite food was, I don't know, a Kiwi fruit or a... 
There you go. You see, there are other options, Steve. You had your head in your hands when I said the word falafel. You dismissed it outright by your body language. What I was saying is what I I wanted. I mean, honestly. What I wanted to say is, yeah, if Chris Hipkins wants to actually do something good here, since you've raised the issue of of obesity in New Zealand, how about removing GST from food? How about actually getting the Commerce Commission to have some teeth to bring down the price of... um, Possibly more acceptable foods to the people who are condemning um, sausage rolls. Have you seen the price of fruit and vegetables in in our duopolistic supermarkets recently? Do something about that and then enjoy a celebratory sausage roll after you've done something good. Fair enough. Fair point. Finally, before you go, Nicky, um, imagine a world where he puts down the sausage rolls and Coke and has something else. What could he suggest uh, Chris Hipkins eat in front of the cameras? I mean... If we're talking about something really, truly representative of Aotearoa, and we're talking about, if he still wants to hang on to the pastry, then I reckon that the power pie, you know those Chatham Islands power pies? Never had one. That would be an, that would be an amazing thing for him to, for him to um, be sort of... Elitist. Consuming in public. Imagine that. <laughs> Having a power because, pie. Yeah. Gosh. All right, Nikki. It's fusion. It's Kaimoana. It's the coloniser all in one little tasty package. I think that could be the guy. Oh, come on, you, seriously. If he's getting grief for sausage rolls, pies, I mean, you're just thinking he's grave for him here, aren't you, really? Nikki Bazant, lovely <laughs> to have you on. Thank you. That's a food and nutrition writer, uh, Nikki Bazant there. Now, uh, due to a police incident, all lanes on State Highway 20 are currently closed northbound by Nielsen Street with southbound lanes also to be fully closed at Queenstown Road. Delay your travel and avoid the area. It's 8 to 5, the panel. Thank you for your response this afternoon. Big response, big response. Always appreciate it. And you can always email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Joe McCarroll, Steve McCabe with me Wednesday afternoon. Finally, A tenancy support group on Facebook has raised in the forum some of the rules that landlords sneak into the agreements. No dryers, no candles, definitely no parties, said one large property management. And guess what? Many of these are unenforceable. Legally, they're on shaky ground. To discuss, we have Brenda McQuillan, Nelson Tenancy Advocate. Brenda, great to have you on the programme. Kia ora, thank you for having me, Wallace. It's a pleasure. Some pretty out there, uh, pretty out there rules, Brenda. What else yeah. have people in the forum been saying to you? Okay, well, there's one I'm reading right now. There is to be no Christmas decorating to the outside of the house. Hang on. So, what? Yeah, you, there is to be. This is this is reading off a um, a tenancy agreement that was shared by anonymously by a tenant. There is to be no Christmas decorating to the outside of the house. Um, no pot plants placed on the carpet, which is fair enough. Oh, and the tenant must clean the ceilings on a regular basis at least every six months. I've just stopped at no, de- no Christmas decorations yeah. in terms of the spirit yeah. uh, of... Uh, the a landlord, landlady being at a rental. We've got a, uh, as you know, Brenda, a panel here. Well, yep. look, I, I don't often get to say this, and it's probably the last time in my life I'll ever actually say it out loud, but I honestly think Judith, Judith Collins was onto something here. So when, 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 he want, when we had a problem, apparently, with, with boy racers, she wanted to confiscate their cars. 
Yeah. So I'm thinking at this point, seriously, if landlords want to impose basically legally highly questionable and certainly utterly utterly unethical restrictions on people's lives, then they should go down the same path and we should be actually confiscating their houses and having the government run their, their, their tenancies for them. This is horrible. All right, stay there, Brenda. Let's bring Joe in. Brenda, are these restrictions coming from landlords who own the home or are they coming from third-party property managers? Third-party property managers, but I believe just having a look at this, particular um, contract, it looks like something that's doing the rounds, so to speak. So some private landlords could have access to it, you know, but this has definitely come from a property management company. And I suppose the thing for me is, having been a tenant all my life, um, living in my home, so, you know, I pay rent to, to a landlord, but it is also my home. I would celebrate. Um, I wanted to celebrate my daughter's 10-year-old 10, 10, 10 birthday. Um, I wanted to have my family around me for drinks when my dad passed away. I wanted to celebrate um, family gatherings, things like that. I want to be able to celebrate that. And if, you, if, if tenants don't feel like this is their home, how can they then... How can you get buy-in from them to really care for that property as their home? Yeah, Brenda, I actually think as a business. one of the saddest stories um, in some of the coverage of that was someone who said um, when the, the, the contract said no parties, and she said, well, can I have a birthday party for my child? And I thought that is, that is such a sad, yeah. sad story. I mean, you are really relegating people to a second-class version of yeah. citizenship if you can't have a birthday party for your kids, if you can't have your friends around for a barbecue. I mean, I'm I'm all for properties being maintained appropriately, but, you know, you own the house, but it's someone else's Imagine home. Imagine that. No children's yeah. birthday parties. However, though, Brenda, can you see how some landlords would be a bit nervous about candles? Doesn't take much for a candle to be knocked by an elbow. Next minute. Yep. Absolutely, and I absolutely can see that, that there is something around, you know, with that would be more enforceable, but the no parties... That's something that has to be negotiated, but the cleaning your ceiling once every six months and no Christmas decorations, they're unenforceable contracts. But unfortunately, because tenants really are scared, it's such a difficult market to get into, they will sign off to anything. But under the RTA, under the Residential Tenancy Act, it is the unenforceable clauses. A quick response from Steve. Yeah, first of all, Joe, I think that your distinction between the owners and the property managers is is a little bit spurious because the managers are acting as agents of um, the owners who are the ones who are deriving the benefit from what is profoundly a manipulative and exploitative relationship with the tenants. Brenda, you're absolutely right. You've got a right to enjoy your home. And I'll tell you what, if, if, if the landlord wasn't willing to live under those conditions themselves, if they weren't living, willing to live in a home where they can't have parties, we can't have Christmas decorations outside, how many landlords do you think are actually cleaning their own ceilings every six months? They are, they are not treating you with any kind of human decency and they should be ashamed of themselves. It's a pleasure having you on the programme, Brenda. Stay Thank well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. That's Brenda McClellan there, uh, who uh, can't have a children's birthday party. All right, now, Joe McCarroll, Steve McCabe, it's been a treat. Really has. Kia to you both. I'm Wallace Chapman, back 3.45pm tomorrow. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint is next.